I mean, I think at the end of the day, you can learn everything you can possibly want to ever know about a subject. If you can't share that passion or that knowledge with enthusiasm, with an audience that's like able to receive it and enjoy it, then what's the point? Hi, and welcome to The Indian Edit, where you can hear directly from women who are creators and change makers with a connection to the Indian subcontinent. I'm Natasha, and today I'm excited to bring you someone who loves encouraging people to experience the world through food, drink, and community. Sarah Thomas has been working in the food and beverage world for many years now, was former sommelier at three Michelin star restaurants, Le Bernardin in New York City, and is currently co-founder and chief imaginator at Calamara's Kitchen, which I'm so excited to hear all about. Welcome, Sarah. You're the first chief imaginator to come on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> so you grew up in rural Pennsylvania in a family of doctors who came from Kerala. And I can imagine food was an important part of your household, um, like many Indian households. But did your family drink wine? <laughs> food was definitely very important and remains incredibly important in my family. Um, my dad drank wine, um, but not like, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like a collector or is yeah. he's, he's not a collector. So it was just, you know, it was like something he'd have a glass of like red wine with dinner, but I don't think I ever paid attention to what exactly he was drinking. I don't even know if he <laughs> yeah. really paid attention to exactly what he was drinking. <laughs> And it sounded like you were trying to get yourself excited about following um, the path of your family in medicine for a number of years. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you took a slight uh, detour into the Renaissance, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I started um, as a pre-med student, as so many of us do. Um, I just kind of thought that that was the that just seemed like the best path for me. It, it, I, it's not that anyone ever said I couldn't do other things. It's just that I didn't, I didn't always see, um, examples of yeah, like us, us doing other things. So it didn't occur to me to like seek out a different idea at the time. And then when I got to college, of course, you're, you know, surrounded by all these incredible people who are passionate about subjects that you haven't really had the opportunity to explore before. And that's kind of what happened to me with, um, with literature. And I always loved reading, but mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me that it could potentially be a career path. Um, and so I became like, kind of, I, it was really because of the passion of one teacher that I mm -hmm. became so obsessed with, um, the Renaissance specifically, it was her specialty. So I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to take as many of this woman's classes and hang out with her all the time. <laughs> um, so that's what, that's what got me there. It's I, I, I very much like follow the passions of passionate people. Oh, that's so interesting. And really a testament to the power of uh, sharing your passion, which you're doing now. Um, <laughs> right. yeah. So you studied literature and uh, what brought you into the food world then? Well, funny enough, I, 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 did pursue literature. I got my master's in Renaissance literature. I decided to take a year off. Um, uh, and, uh, kind of during that year off, I spent some time in India and I was working mm. in a school for kids. Um, and, uh, I, something about being there, um, kind of made me want to potentially pursue medicine again. It's crazy. Oh. As I know. And so I came, when I moved back to the States, it was, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to start a post 
back um, for medicine and see if I can try thing again. But because I've been in academia for so long, I was like, you know, I think I want to have a job that's unrelated to studying right now. I was a teaching assistant and stuff like that in college, but I wanted a different job and I loved food. So I was like, okay, I'll work in a restaurant. And it was, I didn't really know anything about working in a restaurant and, um, the coolest job, it it seemed to me that the coolest job in a restaurant would be being a bartender. So (laughs) that's what I decided I would do. It was literally, I didn't put really any more thought into it than that. I was like, that seems like a fun job. I'll do that. Um, (laughs) So how did you get the job without training? Well, or did you I, um, train and sort of, I don't know, YouTube it or? Yeah, no, I faked it a little bit. Um, I, I basically, I, I went around to all these restaurants and they were like, they like took a look at my resume and they were like, no, um, <laughs> Machiavelli not, is not um, looking Yeah, for. absolutely not. Um, and then I just like stopped showing my resume and I just showed up and I was like, Hey, I'm, I really like, I'm a really fast learner and I really want to bartend and here's why I'm interested. And it just so happened that, um, I, I, I found myself at like what was about to become like one of the best restaurants in Pittsburgh and it just opened um, hmm. soon and they needed people. And I was like, great, will you hire me as a bartender? And they were like, absolutely not. We'll hire you as a host, but because um, <laughs> you have no experience, but if you want to learn, you know, you can put in some extra time and, and learn how to be a bartender and we'll train you. So that's really how it started. That's amazing. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people who go into the restaurant world are sort of shocked by how, um, I mean, it's it, there's still some of the glamour, but there's just a lot of hard work and also oh, so a lot of, work. it just can be <laughs> intense in so many ways, but it sounds like you had a great experience and you wanted to keep going despite um, seeing the reality of the kitchen and the bar and the behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, it was so much work and I didn't, I definitely was very naive when I started in the restaurant industry. I only like a lot of people only see that, like saw the glamour of the bartender or whatever, but you know, it's a physical job. There's a lot of like hauling around of cases of bottles of things and, and you're on your feet for many, many hours and you have to be smiling at people and on, um, both mentally and physically for really long shifts. Um, and back then, like if you didn't have people sitting at the bar, like you didn't really get paid. Uh, you know, like it was, there was a lot of variable that was, that I had to learn, but mm-hmm. I really was kind of thrilled by the pace of it all. Um, mm. and it, you know, I was young enough that it didn't hurt like that bad yet <laughs> <laughs> after 10 years in the restaurant industry, I definitely feel differently, but, uh, <laughs> the beginning, you know, that stuff didn't bother me as much. Um, but I was really yeah thrilled by the pace and like, I just, I was just learning so much in a complete, in a sphere that I I didn't know there was anything like really that deep for me to learn as bad as that sounds. I really didn't know that. <laughs> so you're uh, crafting all these concoctions. What are yeah. some of your favorite cocktails uh, from the time or now? Oh. oh gosh. I don't remember what I was crafting then. I mean, I remember they had like, you know, this was like 2010 ish. They had like a, like some sort of rosemary pear thing, which I was like, wow. I I mean, I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. like really good drinks or spirits at that time. I was really just like that whole world was just opening up to me. And I was like, I, what a genius thing to put these together in, in a drink, you know, like I didn't, um, now I, I drink mostly wine, but I love, I love a classic Negroni. That's probably my go-to. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I love the spagliato just because I, oh, yeah, I feel like same. I have to lie yeah. down after the Negroni. Yes. But, love um, <laughs> so what took you to the wine world at that point? Because um, 
the craft cocktails is just completely different um, yes. in many ways. Yeah, it, it really was a, a series of just kind of chance things. Like it just so happened that that restaurant had a wine list. I really wasn't interested in wine itself at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of flattered by the fact that they were like, oh, you're clearly a quick learner and you like to study. Like we need someone to be able to talk about this wine list as in addition to the the mm. sommelier that we have. So can you please just like memorize some stuff on this wine list? And I was like, sure. And um, so again, didn't have the connection to the product yet. It was really just like another skill set. And then... Um, friends of mine opened a restaurant and they were, they were bringing in wine from like New York that was just really soulful and like had stories behind it and was like really like small, like, you know, artisanal wine selections and they needed help as well. Um, and when I started tasting that wine, which was, um, a very different wine list from the one that I had spoon, no, you know, nothing against that one. It was just a different kind of style of wine list. Um, I really started to get like an emotional connection to the product itself, um, particularly because, you know, I started reading about the people who made it. And again, I'm very much attracted to like when passion translates um, Uh into a product or into an experience, I get really tied up in that. And so that's really what, that ultimately is what got me into wine is I could, I started to taste wine that really had the people who made it had such passion behind it that you could feel it when you drank it. So cool. So you you ended up at Le Bernardin, which um, is astounding. Um, and you were there for five years. And yes. I have many, you know, more useful questions I could ask you about wine and that experience. But what I really want to know first is what is Chef Eric Ripe really like? <laughs> <laughs> He's so kind. He's such a kind person. Um, you know, sometimes you like see people on TV and they're like, you know, really lovely and whatever. And you're like, can they possibly be that nice <laughs> in real life? And um, in, in his case, the answer is yes. Yeah, he's he's a really nice oh, person. Oh, that's um, so fun to hear because my yeah. husband's from Paris and we watched some of his shows on TV ages ago. And uh, I mean, he just seems like a riot and really fun. I'm sure he's yes. obviously very rigorous and intense too, but uh, that's good to know that uh, <laughs> the reality lives up to that image. Yes, very, very kind, very fun, very creative. Lovely person. Oh, incredible. Um, so tell us a little bit about the sommelier job, um, because you, you know, someone who's a sommelier is clearly an expert in wine. Um, but do you or did you at that time sele- help select the wine as well? And how often do you really go to the sort of guest table and recommend something directly to them? Oh, all, constantly. That was my main job. So La yeah. is very wine. It's a very wine focused restaurant. So yeah. um, we always had four sommeliers plus Aldo, the, the beverage director, um, mm-hmm. Aldo Sam, on the floor. Right. So that's a lot of people who can help with wine. And it's it's because almost every single table at La the sommelier will touch with specific wine pairings mm. or bottles um, or aid for beverage, even beverages that are not wine, we would still mm-hmm. help with. Um, so I, I, I went to every table in my section many times throughout the night. Um, it was a constant, constant service, um, that we provided at Laburnan. And that's one of the things that makes it sort of unique is that very constant, very present cert wine, cert beverage service really. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of the job was really helping to make sure that the experience that the guest had was the absolute was better than they 
thought it could be right. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. your job is like, make sure that they leave happier than when they came in. And whether that was through wine or just like entertaining in a way or being really hands-off, like it was being able to read what they needed in Mm -hmm. order to be happier when they left than when they arrived. And, Mm -hmm. and that's the real skill in it. Um, everything else, everyone has their expertise. Mine was of course, you know, learning lots of things about wine and being able to share that. But the real service there is again, just making people leave happy. Um, which everyone on the team kind of works together to do. So interesting. I mean, I think that's exactly, you know, you captured this, uh, the base knowledge that you have, but also that extremely important component of service, um, which people who are sort of academically interested in wine um, don't necessarily have. And that obviously (laughs) was an important part of your training, but uh, that seems to be a common thread in what you continue to do. Um, So it's just really interesting to hear about how that played out when you were actually out there on the restaurant floor. And um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you can learn everything you can possibly want to ever know about a subject, but if you can't get another, if you can't share that passion or that knowledge with enthusiasm, with an audience that's like able to receive it and enjoy it, then what's the point, right? So like I could, I I didn't really, it's not like I used, I used my technical knowledge behind the scenes to make decisions that would make a guest's life better, but I wasn't there like talking about like the soil types in Sancerre, you know what I mean? Like unless someone specifically asked me, that's (laughs) like really not the job. (laughs) It's just to make people happy. So interesting. Um, And I mean, you're a woman in the wine world. Um, There's been a lot of attention, especially in the New York wine world lately, mostly negative on how women have struggled in these spaces. Um, Was was that restaurant and others you worked in, did they have um, other women besides you? How did that work in your case? In, you know, in my case, I was in a really unique position. Um, Aldo happened to have often, like, mostly hired women. So when I actually started at Laburnian as a sommelier, the entire wine team, other than him, was female. Mm-hmm. And that was super unique. Even in New York, I mean, you still don't, you see it a little bit more now, but it was really rare in 2014, mm-hmm. um, which is when I started there. And, um, you know, I, people have asked Aldo about this before, and he's just like flabbergasted by the question. He's like, I just hired the best people for the job. I don't care. Mm. Like, that's what I did. And those, these were my best candidates and they were incredible. And I mean, I think the testament is that we all stayed there for so many years, right? Like you, um, so I, I had a, I had a really unique experience in that I worked almost entirely with female sommeliers for my career, which was amazing. Mm. Um, and um, as far as, you know, experiencing any certain hardship in the industry or um, in service, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. Like I, it's the same, the same, any career, I think the same things that women face in any career, I definitely mm-hmm. faced in terms of like, it's more just like, you know, people not taking you seriously or really questioning why you're, why you're there and not mm. you know, someone else. But, um, but in terms of the actual work environment that I had, uh, I felt very lucky that I got to um, work with so many women, so many incredibly talented women. And my mentors were nothing but encouraging to me. So I, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I escaped some of the, the very ugly, ugly sides of our industry. Mm. So before we leave the wine world, um, I'm curious if you're just cooking 
uh, at home on a Tuesday. I'm, I'm assuming you cook at home uh, <laughs> on Tuesdays. Yeah. Uh, so what is the wine you reach for? Do you start with what your dinner or do you think, do you have a sort of go-to apero or something? Oh, um no, because I'm a champagne lover and it's just the easy because it happens to go before a meal as well. It's yeah. easy for that to be a go to. But then I imagine for you, there are a million choices. Yeah. You know what? I'm really all over the place with um, what I want to drink at any given time. So yeah. like I usually have a couple options around. I, too, am a champagne fan um, as an specifically as an Apero, I guess. Uh, if I I. I guess I tend to drink dry sherry pretty frequently. Um, oh, I love Fino sherry. I love Manzanilla sherry. Um, so, but then, yeah, with wine, it really just depends on whatever we're eating. I yeah. generally have a couple options that'll go with whatever. But I, I, if if I have to do a catch-all something, I'm definitely also a champagne person. Oh, fun. What are your yeah. favorites? Um, let's see. What have I, I mean, I love like my, my goat, my always classic go-tos are like Pierre Peters and, um, and Charton Taillé, um, mm-hmm. and Lamondia Benier. And, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I had recently that was fun. I don't know. I, those, I just always have those. Oh, Dante Gray. I always have as well. Um, and yeah. you're yeah constantly trying new things I'm sure so exciting yeah uh, it's, fun, it's fun for someone else to pick wine now so I, I, I have a couple <laughs> wine bars wine bars where I trust the uh some very very much and they know my taste and I uh it's very fun to still like stay connected that way because now I'm I'm not one of the cool kids anymore I'm not, <laughs> I'm not seeing the wines come in to the restaurant so oh, gotta stay connected somehow. yes you're the dangerous customer <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um what led you then to um the food world and starting Kalamata's kitchen um well you know I was working at that I was uh I was on the floor a lot at Laverne N. um um it's uh it's definitely like a grinding job and again the physicality of it yeah. is is a lot um the pace is even more than you know it was when I first started in the industry. It's it's a higher standard. It's it's grueling. It's it's really hard and, and it's it can be very tiring. Um, it's hard. You know your schedule is is difficult. Um, you know it, there's a lot of and I was looking for kind of a way to figure out how to transition out out of it. Still mm-hmm. stay connected to the food world, but not maybe perhaps not directly on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, my one of my really good friends, Derek Wallace actually, um, he knew that I had this fondness for working with kids. He knew that I had a background in literature. He knew that I was looking for a way to kind of transition out of restaurants. And, um, he actually had this great idea where he was like, you know, why isn't there a character that teaches kids about the world through food, the way Anthony Bourdain taught us about the world through food? Um, he's like, don't you think that character should exist? And I was like, Mm. yeah, I think that character should express it. Um, and he was like, you know, do you think you could, you could create that character, you know, with your background and everything. And I thought about it and I was like, this is actually the most perfect convergence of everything I've ever done in my life. Um, and I can't believe it doesn't exist. And so Derek and I started to build Kalamata's kitchen together while I was still working at La Bernadette. Um, and that was really, that was it. Like it, it just, I, I, I suddenly had this like that the spark was back. Right. And it's funny when I look back now, I think 
the best work I ever did at Laburnum was also while I was working on Kalamata's Kitchen. Um, <laughs> they kind of fed, the experiences really fed each other because at the end of the day, again, yeah. we were just trying to improve the experiences of the people that we were interacting with. And whether that was kids and families through food and Kalamata's Kitchen or, you know, the people that I served at Laburnum with wine, I, I suddenly like the service and like experience and a joy and passion element really came like flooding back to me because of it. Oh, that's so fun. So what was your partner's background? Was he also a restaurant person or? No, no. Derek actually just used to work at a, a, a really big corporate environment. Um, and he hmm. he often calls it kryptonite to creativity, uh, where, <laughs> you know, that kind of like, you know, innovation is is squashed a little bit in, in some of those environments. And he was really feeling burnt out in his life as well um, and looking to really put some positivity in the world. And that's where, you know, that's when he came up with this idea and we, you know, kind of initially started figuring out what it could do um, and what it could be, you know, it felt very, very positive. And it felt like a mission almost Mm. that we could go on together and really make a difference in people's lives with. So um, that's that really our, our, we had a shared passion for food, but he didn't work in the industry. He's like Mm -hmm. the best guest of all time. He's a professional (laughs) guest. (laughs) So I came across your work through the book, but um, tell us about the whole world of Kalamata's Kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, Derek and I always envisioned the world being bigger than any one product or any one story. And Mm -hmm. so the books are a way to introduce Kalamata and her alligator pal Al Dente to kids because kids, you know, we want kids to really love the characters. Um, But the, through the characters, you know, that's how they can learn lessons on being more open-minded, on trying new things. And those lessons are things that parents really need, right? Those are things mm-hmm. that parents need. To, uh, this is a vehicle for parents to teach those those lessons to their kids. Um, and so further to the stories and the characters, we do, we are developing um, shows, we have products, we do tasting experiences for kids. Um, you know, we kind of see Kalamata and Al Dente and the lessons that they teach through food living in pretty much every sphere of your life, right? Whether that's grocery shopping with your kids and making it into a scavenger hunt or going out to a restaurant and using the taste bud travel guide to find a really unique restaurant experience that treats your kid like a VIP, but the food is all stuff that like everyone in the family really wants to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, experiencing stories of um, other food heroes, right? Like uh, through our our, our taste bud profiles that we do on chefs and amazing food people in the industry. There's just something that you can really interact with the brand at at kind of every level. And we love Mm -hmm. that because food, food has really like filled my life in every way. And we're trying to give as many opportunities for families to experience that same sentiment as well. So cool. Um, So are the events ongoing as well or how and what are they like? Yeah. So, you know, obviously all live in-person events took a pause um, because of COVID, but, you know, while the weather was still nice, I popped up in, in lots of, in like green markets, for example, and we did readings outside and, in, um, and like little tasting events. And so we would love to get those going full scale again at some point, but you know, there, we don't know exactly when that'll be, but when we do, um, they're very, very fun. Basically we set up lots of little bites for kids to try. Oftentimes we'll have local, um, chefs and, um, and, and, Mm -hmm. and shops kind of contribute a bite each, uh, for kids. And we put them on a little passport, um, and kids get a passport, a VIP badge, and they get to go around and try all these new foods. And if they try them, they get 
get their passport stamped. Um, parents Ooh, are always just, genius. You know, <laughs> it's so fun. They're, you know, par- you'll, you'll see parents jaws on the ground because they're like, how did you get our kids to do that? And it's because the whole thing is like, from their perspective, it's an adventure. It's their idea to do it. No one's telling them like why they should eat broccoli. It's like, it's being like kind of introduced to them as an adventure and adventures Mm -hmm. are fun. Have you learned uh, something surprising from hanging around the kids in that (laughs) kind of setup? Yeah. I mean, they always have like really interesting things to say about the food. Um, I always love um, hearing like what they think something's going to be and then what they think it is after. Um, Mm. I like, you know, when you ask a kid like, I I like asking questions that aren't yes or no answers, right? Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll ask like, what does it feel like? What does it sound like? What does it remind you of? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the answers aren't always like other foods. Sometimes it's like, oh, it reminds me of my brother's baseball game or something. It's like, I don't know why, (laughs) but like, there's no wrong answer. It's like, it's just fun to, it's just fun to get kids like tying senses to memories and experiences and um they come up with some crazy stuff (laughs) i love the passport idea i think i'm gonna i saw that you have one on your website um the passports are available like a spice one and um i think this would be so fun to um try and kind of gamify your own home (laughs) dining experience too exactly right and we have a couple of those there's there's um there's a few that you can purchase and then we also have like free activity downloads for that exact purpose you're gamifying your kind of at-home food experience and we started doing the free ones the downloads on our website as a resource um while everyone was locked down and we Mm -hmm. still we wanted to stress that you know while everyone was home um you know food we could all still continue to connect over food and food and particularly traveling, for example, through your spice cabinet is a great way to, to get outside of your own kitchen, um, mm-hmm. even if you can't physically leave it. Um, and so those are all available on kalamataskitchen.com still for people to kind of have fun around their dinner tables and in their own kitchens. Oh, that's great. And um, I love the matching cards as well, because, yeah. um, you know, I have all the spices, for example, in the spice one uh, with different languages. And I think this sort of literacy about food is just uh, great um, to incorporate in a game. Yeah, really fun. And the book, of course, is lovely. Um, tell us a little bit about putting the book together, because that is a first for you as a new picture book author. I imagine that's a steep learning curve as well. Yeah, honestly, it was really hard. It's like, it's it's intimidating to write for kids because they'll tell you if they're like, they're like, I don't like it. It's bad. (laughs) Um, It'll kind of like couch their criticism a little bit. Kids do not. Um, And, you know, what was, I think, most interesting for me was the editing process of like, you know, how, when you really go through and like count the words in kids' books, like how few words there are. So, um, you know, you, you write a story and then you have to cut like two thirds of it, uh, for a picture book. Um, so it's hard to, you know, get action across, I guess. And like, have a, like that kind Mm -hmm. of 
like finding a way to have depth to a story that has like less than 700 words is pretty tough. Right. Um, but that's why, but that's why having an amazing illustrator is such a, is such an asset. And um, so I, I have the most amazing illustrator, uh, Joe Cosmetis Edwards. And um, we worked really closely to basically, I would say, okay, how can I take these words off the page and how can you bring them to life in illustration? So mm. they don't have to be there. And um, that was the most fun part. It was like harrowing because <laughs> I was like, does this story still make sense? but um it was really fun because she's so incredibly talented and we work together really well um oh, that's great so yeah it was it was it was it was hard sure but like it it was really like i i kind of really i enjoy like learning something new and being very challenged by it and that was um definitely a very challenging experience <laughs> but very very fun Oh, it's really fun. The illustrations are really um, charming and oh, beautiful. Uh, and it's interesting that she actually did work with you that closely because I, I don't think that's always the case with picture book um, illustrators. So No, it, it's not. Usually, um, so I mean, I'll write illustration direction, but mm-hmm. we're really good friends. So, um, you know, it was it's just easier for us, I think, to be collaborative than it is for me to like dictate stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't see a point in that. She's so talented. I she right. always makes everything more beautiful than I could have imagined. So like, who am I to be like draw this exactly like this? Yeah. She's the artist, you know. Oh, I love the um, bushy eyebrows. Yes, <laughs> that was adorable. Important. <laughs> That's important. I love it. That was uh, she, she couldn't make them thinner. <laughs> that was like, oh, oh no, we were not thinning <laughs> the eyebrows. We weren't losing the sideburns. Our hair has all the volume. <laughs> oh, it's uh, super sweet. Um, love the story. And um, uh, tell us this or read us the Taste Buds pledge, if you would, just so people Absolutely. know what the book is. Uh, yeah shooting for absolutely the taste bud pledge really encapsulates everything that Kalamata's kitchen as a company is really trying to instill in people and and use to inspire people and so the words of the pledge are i promise to keep my mind open and my fork ready to try each new food at least two times and to share what's on my plate when someone doesn't have enough i love it so (laughs) where did that last part come in from it's sharing when someone doesn't have enough. You know, so much of what we, when we started this, um, you know, we, we knew from day one, like from the, from the idea day one, mm. that this was not just like a business that we were going to do. And like, this was like going to be the way we made money and whatever. It was mm-hmm. always going to be something that did something good in the world. And food to us has so many emotional, powerful, powerful emotional capabilities, but it's also a basic building block of every person's life. Obviously um, everyone needs to eat. And there's so many people who are food insecure, so many children who are food insecure, um, so many you know people who really do need help, need a helping hand. Mm-hmm. Food can teach us and especially kids, I mean, grownups too, um, how to share, how to give back in, in a number of ways, but very, very functionally, we always built in a give back piece to everything we do. So we have whole product lines that where all of the, the proceeds go to No Kid Hungry. Um, our first three books that we self-published, um, we donated to uh, food uh, insecurity charities of the chefs, the featured chefs choices. Um, the idea of, of you, uh, helping and sharing food um, both literally, literally and um, kind of through the emotional connection of sharing food with someone else is really at the heart, the beating heart of Calamata's Kitchen. 
Mm. Um, and if you had to sort of summarize a few tips for uh, families who are trying to get their kids to try more food besides the try everything twice, um, <laughs> what would you say? You know, I think sometimes it's when it's the fear, there's lots of reasons that kids don't want to try new foods. Sure. One of them, um, you know, sometimes, you know, kids do have really sensitive taste buds. They're more sensitive actually than, than adults. So some things do taste different to kids. So that's, it's hmm. important to have some grace around, you know, trying new foods, that, yeah. you know, just don't give up. They might like it in a different preparation or whatever. That's one. I think the idea of, um, like fr- the enthusiasm with which you present something, I think is really important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, w- I was talking to a really incredible chef called Kelsey Bernard Clark recently. And she was like, people ask me all the time, how do I get kids to eat? How do I get my kids to eat vegetables? And I say, well, I don't put anything in front of them that I wouldn't be actually excited to eat myself. Um, so there's that kind of shared enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. There's making the food exciting. There's talking about it in a way that um, gets them more interested in in and actually the ex- whole experience of it instead of just you know this is food it needs to go into your body. Um, using that language around like what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it remind you of? Um, you know how does it feel in your hands or your mouth? those things get kids engaged and engagement actually leads to, um, more, you know, they, they, if they pay more attention to what they're doing, they're actually more likely to make good decisions for themselves. Um, the experience is more enjoyable. It's more interactive. Um, and yeah, again, it's, it's, I think framing, trying something new as an adventure, Mm -hmm. um, celebrating the fact that open-mindedness being open to trying something new is something to be, to be celebrated. It's a, it's an accomplishment, um, does wonders for a kid's self-esteem too. Um, you know, every, who doesn't want to be a fearless food adventurer. And when it's, it's framed like that, you'll see, I think you start to see that kids get excited to, to make these decisions for themselves. (laughs) Um, And so the company that you've created um, sounds like you're doing so many different things. Um, How do you structure it um, between you and your partner? How do you work? And um, what is the day in the life look like for you? We have, um, I have an incredible team, just an incredibly talented team. Um, and we are on the phone a lot. We're on zoom a lot. Um, (laughs) you know, I, we, we all have our own areas of expertise. Um, but largely I know Derek and I could not do what we do without not just our, um, our chief design officer and our chief marketing officer who we're talking to like all the time. Um, but our, um, our extended team of contractors, our copywriters and, uh, social Mm -hmm. media people. And and, and we have just such talented, talented people working for us. And, and the, the key I think is all of them are really driven by the mission. And Mm -hmm. so we're on Slack a lot. We're on zoom a lot We're you know, we're, we're constantly throwing ideas back and forth and everybody works really hard and, it doesn't, as cheesy as it sounds, everyone loves it so much um, that some days, you know, you're on, you're on for like hours and it just, the day flies by and you're like, how, what I did so much today. And I'm not, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel bad. <laughs> <Like work>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know that's a cheesy, cheesy old adage, but it's really true. We're all just very driven by this mission. Oh, that sounds so fun. So what are the plans in the next few months and your vision for the company? Well, um, we do have our second book in the series of Penguin Random House coming out next summer. Cool. Um, That's exciting. We just put all the finishing touches on that. 
Um, we are, you know, working in development on an animated series. We're tossing around ideas and in, in development on a live action series. Oh, we, fun. Yeah. You know, we want to, we definitely, hopefully, you know, keeping our fingers and toes crossed for events to be able to come back. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, we would really love to continue the work that we've been doing and really just like, like kind of grow our, grow the support, grow our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully these events do a lot of that for us. So I'm, I'm hope I'm really, really hoping that that's what we can uh, lean into big time next year. And, um, and I think, you know, the other fun part that we've been really putting a lot of time and effort into recently is our taste bud travel guide, um, mm-hmm. which is our website where I had mentioned earlier, where you can find like these really unique dining experiences all over the country where the food is also awesome. Um, so I, I think, you know, next year we'll be putting a lot of effort into building that out and making sure that network is super solid and really a resource for, for families. Um, in their own towns and when they're traveling. Yes, I love it. I was just going to bring that up uh, for families, parents to look up uh, just for themselves, um, you know, when they travel or even in their hometown, like you said. Um, I love seeing which uh, places you've picked in Boston, but you've got a whole bunch of cities already um, yeah. on the list. And uh, how do you pick those restaurants? I know you've said food, you know, places where um, the parents and the children will find something they enjoy eating. And it's obviously not sort of like, you know, kids menu kind of food, but, um, you know, with so many restaurant choices, um, how are you going about picking those? We have our, our team curates these lists ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, we have, you know, we have people all over the country that we, we call upon for their expertise locally as well. Um, I love to, um, through the kind of restaurant community, I love to ask chefs, where they yeah. take their families when they're not working. Mm. Um, so these are just really tightly curated lists by people who actually eat in these places with their families. Oftentimes we contact the restaurants themselves and we say, you know, we ask them like, what do you, do you wish more families knew you guys were family friendly? And they're like, yes, we do. Um, and it's, you know, we're really drawing that for a lot of restaurants. We're kind of connecting them to an audience that they don't necessarily have connectivity to just through say their email blasts or social media. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all curated by our own, our own tastes and also the, um, the very wise and helpful insight of, of locals and, uh, local chefs. Oh, I love it. I love also on your blog, the chef's profiles. Yes. Uh, those are really fun. Um, again, for the parents, for sure. I'm sure the kids as well, but, uh, um, it's great. The whole world and the website is, um, there's so much to explore. So very exciting. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about, um, Calamara's kitchen before we move to the last few questions? Um, no, I mean, I just, I don't know exactly when this is going to air, but we do have some fun like holiday bundles and stuff. Um, we, oh, yeah. if, you, if you love the, uh, if you love the book or if you're excited to get the book for a kid in your life, um, we're doing a spice bundle with spice wallow, which is really fun. Um, and you know, it comes with the three main spices that are in the doll recipe in the back of the book. Um, and oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. And we have really cute plushies now for both Cal and Al. Uh, <laughs> yes. so you can just go to com. I love it. I do think um, the book is a great holiday gift. Um, also with these other games, um, I really, I mentioned the spice matching one. I think it's um, a lovely one for any family to have. It's not the kind of thing um, 
you can really kind of teach your kids easily. Otherwise, I mean, obviously, as they cook and hang out in the kitchen, they learn about spices. But it's nice to see a visual representation if you don't have everything, you know, sort of right there. You have the words in several different languages. You have the image, a beautiful illustration. So that's a really nice um you know, one of my favorites from your website. And then I think the passports are really great idea as well. Um, so super, how exciting for the holidays. I think great gifts um, for all ages. Um, and now, Sarah, is there something that's making your life better right now? It could be food related or anything really. Um, Yes. Let's see. I think I, my proximity to Malai ice cream makes me happy. <laughs> I live really close by to the Brooklyn scoop shop for Malai and mm. um, it's like the greatest ice cream I've ever had. I'm pretty sure Pooja is a genius. Um, so yes, that, that makes me very happy. <laughs> oh, delicious. I've yet to try it, but. Uh, oh, well, it's available on Gold Belly and we actually did a Kalamata's Kitchen collaboration with Malai, which you can get on Gold Belly. Oh, nice. Okay, great. There you go. Um, and I love talking about books. So are there books that have either influenced you, um, whether childhood or in your adult life, or just something you're reading right now that you can share? Yeah. I mean, as far as influences, I was thinking about, I, get, I was thinking about this the other day. I really, I loved reading when I was a kid. And I think the things I remember the most are um the descriptions of food in mm -hmm. like Roald Dahl books mm. um I loved Roald Dahl I mean I read everything he wrote you know many many times over and I remember like you know being I can still like remember like how I felt when I read like the descriptions of the way the scent of chocolate filled um Charlie that when he'd walk past the gates mm. of the factory and I remember in in the giraffe the Pelly and me the the giraffe is absolutely mad for black walnuts like you know like stuff <laughs> like that I just it just really stuck with me so I I I think I was always really like transported by um really vivid food descriptions mm -hmm. and I remember them from Roald Dahl and then now while I'm at my parents house I'm like I always reread books when I come here because she kept all of my old like oh how fun yeah so I just reread Dune because I haven't I want to see the movie oh I've never read it and I think it's time finally it's a it's a it's a, it's a whole thing I read it years ago and I had to reread it and then um I'm also rereading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell because oh one of the I'm halfway through it but uh <laughs> you're rereading that is quite the tome <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, I love rereading books. Um, and I, it's because the reason I wanted to reread that one is because during lockdown, Susanna Clare came out with another book. Yes, called And it was like mind blowingly good and such a different book from Jonathan Strange. I was like, oh. I have to reread Jonathan Strange because I can't, I'm so impressed that someone could make two such wildly different books and have them be so so good. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. You know, I was reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Nora, but then we moved. And because it's such a chunky book, um, I need to just get on the Kindle, but um, yeah. it's in storage. So I'm only halfway through. Um, but I, that's great to hear. You loved it so much. I'm going to get back into that and then also read her new one now. I'm um, really curious about highly, it. Highly recommend Piranesi. It's incredible. Oh, so great. Um and okay, I could talk about more books, but um, are there any food books you'd like to mention or favorite cookbooks? 
Um, let's see, Fury Cookbooks. Well, I love um, Asha Gomez's, both of her books. Um, oh, I don't know them. Okay. I, I, cook, I Cook in Color and um, My Two Souths, which is her, her first book, but um, they're both awesome. And we cook from, especially I Cook in Color, we cook from a lot. Um, uh, and then I just, I love, for kids' books, I love Dumplings for Lily. Um, oh, I don't know that either. Okay. Really cute. Really, really cute. Um, really great book. Oh, so fun. And um, I forgot to ask earlier, but if you had to pick the one favorite dish from your home growing up, what would it be? <laughs> uh, uh, only one. Um, my mom's uh, Madras crab curry. It's just like the best. Ooh, so good. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, All fun. right. Finally, where can people find you and Kalamata online? Oh, and well, the best way is to follow Kalamata's Kitchen on Instagram. So it's just at Kalamata's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on Facebook. I am personally on Instagram as well, but all of the all of the fun Kalamata stuff is on our Instagram page. So I would follow that one. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. <laughs> Sorry? Say my Instagram is just pictures of my dog, so... Oh, <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. This is lovely. I love the work you're doing and the passion that you have for it. So thank it was you. a joy um, to join <laughs> in for a little while. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, you'll find all the links mentioned today in our show notes at theindianedit.com. And if you've enjoyed it, we'd love for you to subscribe. You won't get any email or spam. Um, the podcast will just show up in your podcast feed. And if you have suggestions for people you'd like to hear from, email me or send me a message on Instagram at the Indian Edit Podcast. Thanks again for listening.